Hear the word of the Lord. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Pray with me. Merciful Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word. Your word which you promise does not return void. I pray that you would speak to us by the power of your spirit. Encourage our hearts, strengthen our faith, and strengthen our community, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. And you know, at the, at the start of... Uh, Every baseball season, uh, there's, a, there's a certain refrain that happens amongst Mariners fans, and it's this. It's, uh, this, is, this is a year. This is, we're going to finally do it. We're going to finally get into the playoffs. I feel good about this year. It's going to happen. You know, every streak has to come to an end. And then, you know, there's, there's hope. Uh, there's hope in the atmosphere. Uh, usually, our, our hopes are dashed by the end of the season, but this last year, we finally got to see some of our hopes Realizes the Mariners, you know, broke a 20-year playoff drought um, and finally made it to the playoffs. And uh, many of us, I think, think about hope like this, like it's wishful thinking of something that we want to have happened, something that maybe could happen, uh, but it may not happen. And I think we do this, obviously, with all sorts of things, not just baseball, but we have hopes for today. You, you hope that today is going to be a good day. You have hope for the Christmas season, spending time with family. You hope you're not going to fight with them. Or you hope for really sweet presents. Or, you know, we have, we have hopes for the, the new year. This is going to be finally the year where you, you get into healthy habits and they last for more than a week. You know, things like that. We have all sorts of, of hopes. But in, implicit in the way we, I think, often think about hope uh, and hopes in, in this way is that we understand that, that these things may or, or may not happen. And for many of us, our, our hope is really just wishful thinking. And I think one of the, the major problems with hope being mere wishful thinking is that what happens to your hope when the things that you wish for don't happen? When, when, when time after time you're wishing for this thing to happen and it never does, what's going to happen to your hope? Well, eventually you're going to give up on it, aren't you? And because uh, what's the use of wasting your time and your energy hoping for something that will never come true? And I think that vision of hope can't help but bleed into the way we think about the future that God has promised for us. 
deliverance from sin, a, a new creation, the end of death, the, the crushing of, of Satan, freedom. We, we want those things. We're desperate for them. We, we're desperate to be released from the crushing realities of sin in this world, the daily struggles, all of it. But maybe that's actually just wishful thinking for us too. This is why we desperately need stories like I just read to you from Matthew 1. Because I think it challenges our, 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 our poor visions of, of, of hope. And it gives us solid foundations because it's hope is, and Christian hope is not just wishful thinking about something that may or may not happen. It's a surety. Right? It's not even just like, hey, this is a 99.9% .9 chance. We're pretty confident in this one. You could probably bet some money on this in Vegas. It's not even that. It is stronger than that. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Right? Christian hope is not wishful thinking, but it's, it's hope of something that is true that just hasn't happened yet. Now you may ask, well, how can I be so sure about the hope that's told to us about salvation, of new creation, of a world without sin, of the crushing of our great enemy? How can we be so sure about these things? Since they haven't happened yet, we feel. Well, because in the birth of Jesus Christ, our hope, our Christian hope has actually been realized. The, the unseen has become seen. J Jesus is our, our long-awaited hope uh, that, that put on flesh. Right? You know, just before this section of scripture that I, I read for us, there's this, a list of, of genealogy, the genealogies of, of Jesus. And in that genealogy, is over 4,000 years of generations uh, listed here. Every year after year, generation after generation, waiting, waiting, hoping for this day to come, for for Christ, the Messiah, to come generation after generation. And all of a sudden, seemingly out of the blue, the thing that they were waiting for, the thing they were passing, the hope they were passing on from generation to generation, steps into history. 4,000 years of waiting and hoping, we find, actually wasn't wishful thinking. It's not even an optional aspect to their faith in Yahweh, but it's central. Because there's no faith in God without the surety of hope. And it is this hope in the, in the truth of the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ that's actually being held out before us as we look at the birth of Christ. This is not wishful thinking, but a sure foundation, right? That because our, our hope has come in the birth of Christ, our hope, yours and I's hope today is not in vain. And as we consider the, the surety of, of hope this morning, I think there's, there's two aspects to our hope that make it real for us. Uh, that I want to focus on. The first is the substance of hope, and the second is the birth of hope. So first, the, the substance of hope. As we consider this idea of what's the substance, right? What is this hope made of? What's its stuff that it's made of? I think there's, there's three parts to this substance that makes up our hope. And the, the, the first part is new creation. New creation. Uh, the hope of a, of a future made new, I think, is the first thing we begin to see in this story you start to see it actually flesh out in verse 18. Um, it says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And uh, there's, there's a lot happening in this text, uh, but the, the first thing we notice is this word birth. You know, in Greek, this word that's translated birth for us in English is actually Genesis. And so the, the first readers of this text immediately places a, would be placed back into the Garden of Eden. It's, it's, it's creation language. This is a Genesis moment. A new creation is happening 
at the birth of Christ. And it, it continues here. It says, you know, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And so we find this, this two couple, this couple steps on the scene and they're betrothed. And, you know, we don't really have a, an, an equal aspect to betrothed in our, in our current context. It's to betrothed, betrothed in this day it was stronger than just being engaged to someone, but not, not quite as strong as being married to them. Like they weren't sharing a bed yet. So to become unbetrothed from somebody was, would have been like divorce. Um, so you can imagine Joseph's surprise when Mary is pregnant and not from him. Uh, you know, virgins don't get pregnant. Parents, you can talk to your kids about that one later. Uh, so when you get betrothed, you, you, uh, you know, you're not sharing a bed and all of a sudden Mary's pregnant. And the, the, the text tells us that she was found with child from the Holy Spirit. Except Joseph doesn't know that at this point, right? And so we have verse 19. It says this. And her husband, uh, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And so Joseph is doing the sensible thing, actually, and a very kind thing. He's not making a, he doesn't want to make a public announcement about this divorce and shame her. So he's going to quietly um, uh, uh, divorce her and kind of go on his way, um, which, you know, makes sense because he can't in good conscience marry someone that's sleeping around with other people. And then this happens to him in verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Right, so this angel appears to Joseph and explains the situation, and Joseph believes angel because at the end it says he did what the angel told him. But in this little verse, there's so many things happening. For, for one, uh, I think often we take for granted this story and just how crazy it is. Uh, for one, you know, virgins don't give birth. For two, angels don't just talk to people. It's actually very rare that angels come and talk to people. This is actually going to be the focus of our Christmas Eve service. A little plug for that. You should come and join us if you want to hear my, my take on angels. Uh, but, but that in itself is extremely unusual for an angel to appear and speak to someone in a dream. So first, you got, okay, something strange. Something strange is happening in this story. And then the, the angel confirms, Mary is still indeed a virgin, which is also strange because she has a, a child. And uh, it says, and the angel tells, tells Joseph how this happened. Well, she conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, well that makes sense. Okay, <laughs> next story. No, it doesn't make any sense. Right? How is someone conceived by the Holy Spirit? It's a very unusual thing. What's happening here? Well, when we consider the, the, the virgin birth, I think many times people get distracted by the strangeness of it and try to come up with all sorts of crazy explanation of what's happening uh, around it that get really weird, like they try to explain the science behind the virgin birth. This is how it could have potentially happened. Um, or, you know, certain traditions create new theological categories to figure out how Jesus, right, a sinless man, could be born uh, and, and dwell inside the womb of a sinful woman. And, uh, and so they create all sorts of new doctrines around these things. But these kind of arguments, although problematic for various different reasons, I think miss the point of what Matthew is trying to to point out for us in the, in the strangeness and the uniqueness of what the virgin birth is about. Because Matthew's point, he's not trying to draw a diagram for us or get into the mechanics of it. 
His point is actually that, that in the incarnation of Christ, what we're seeing is the start of a new creation. This is a Genesis moment. Right? Matthew's audience, the audience that, that got the book of Matthew, they were, they were predominantly Jewish people. They know the creation story well. And he's getting them to think about, about these things, about Genesis, because Genesis things are happening. Right? The Holy Spirit is hovering over creation again. Right In Genesis 1, where do you find the Holy Spirit hovering Hovering over virgin earth, bringing about creation. And now you find the Holy Spirit again, hovering over virgin womb. Right in Genesis 1, what does the Holy Spirit do? But he animates the creation. He's, he's the breath of God, bringing creation to life. He's the breath of God, bringing Adam to life in the garden. And now the Holy Spirit is at work again, animating the life of the second Adam. The Holy Spirit is bringing about new creation. Right, This is a long-awaited hope in the coming of the Messiah that he would come and he would make all things new that he would right the wrongs of sin in this world. So in this virgin birth, we find the sign of a, of a new initiative, of a new creation. Right? The substance of our, of our future hope is a, is a world that's made new. Jesus, the second, the better Adam, coming to restore all things. Which kind of leads to the, the second aspect of the substance of our hope, and that's the, the end of, of sin. As we see the dawn of this new creation, we find the end of, of sin. We see here, verse 21, it says this, and she will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he, shall, he will save his people from their sins. So his name is Jesus, which is Greek, is Yeshua, which comes from the Old Testament name, Joshua. This is a name that means the Lord is our salvation. And what, he's, what the angels tell him is like, your salvation is at hand. Your salvation from your sin is, is here. He has come to save his people from their sins. And the ultimate substance of hope that's offered even in new creation is, is a world that's without sin, that's not tainted by sin. This is why we need a new creation, because the first one's tainted. You can't just go into the shop and get a, get a tune-up or get a few parts replaced. It needs to be remade. And so we need a new Adam, a new covenant head, not just to give us wishful thinking, the, the you know, news of, of, of cheer and glad tidings. We need something deeper than that. Uh, we need to be rescued from the tyranny of sin. Because sin isn't something you and I can escape on our own. We live in a world that's affected in every way by it. It's not hard to convince you either, right? Disease, sickness, death, addiction, relational strife, empty wombs, natural disasters. Wishful thinking cannot help you overcome any of those things. It might make you feel good for a moment. It might distract you for a moment, but it won't help you in those things. We need something more. We need something stronger. We need a hope with a better substance to it. And this is what you're promised in Christ, that he is coming to save you from all of those things. He is a surety of our hope. In the incarnation, what we find is that our salvation does not come from inside the creation. We can't save ourselves, but God has to come from the outside in to save us. Right, the damage is too big for us to repair on our own. You know, one theologian, uh, Peter Lightheart, points out that, that it can't be set right through any human initiative, right through the, the effort of political parties or technological advances or even educational institutions. Those things in and of themselves cannot st stop the spread of sin. But if our world is going to be made right, it needs God to come in and make it right. And this is the third and final ingredient to the, the, this part of our, the substance to our faith, and it's God with us, Emmanuel. It says this in verse 23, looking back to, to Isaiah, it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God 
with us. Right? This is the third part to the substance of our hope because what is promised in the coming of Christ? It's not just another prophet that's come of old. It's not, it's not just another Old Testament prophet coming onto the scene to, to do some, some stuff and things. But he's Emmanuel. Right? He is God with us. God in the flesh. Yahweh. The God of old. The one true God. The God that created all things. That sustains all things. That God is in the flesh in Jesus. He comes in the fullness of his deity to dwell in Christ. Fully God, fully man. Another divine mystery. This is the substance of our hope. God has come in the flesh. Coming to usher in a new creation. Coming to rescue us from sin and all its effects. There's no stronger substance in the cosmos than, than this. There's nothing that can hold your hope other than this. There's nothing that can, everything, everything else will let you down except this. This is what's being held out to you this morning. That your hope is not something that's fleeting. It's not like a, a new diet plan that you want to start. I keep on bringing up diet plans because I mean to start them, right? It's a sure thing, right? The world will be made new. We will be rescued from sin. We, we can't hope in this with a sure, sure, surety because this rests not on our power to do it, but on his. It's on the power, it rests on the power of the God who came in the flesh to accomplish things, these things. It it's, it's rests in the power of Emmanuel, God with us. Right, the substance of our hope is not wishy-washy, it's not good vibes, it's a sure foundation. Which makes us ask a question internally, right? What is the substance of your hope? What is the things that, that drive you from, from day to day? What are you hoping and unless your hope is founded in the incarnation of Christ, your hopes will not stand. The substance of our hope that we long for is, is I think, further cemented by the fact that our, that our hope is not just a future reality, but it's a, it's a reality that was born in real time and space. It's kind of the second thing I want to speak on on hope is the birth of hope. The birth of hope. You know, the, the message of the angel to Joseph here wasn't just about something that would happen, right, another 4,000 years from this point. It wasn't another prophecy. It was actually fulfillment of a prophecy. And we see this in the fact that Jesus indeed was born. Verse 24, it says this, And when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she, gave, had, until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So it actually happened. She gave birth to a son, not made by man, not done through ordinary means, but extraordinary, and they named him Jesus. Right? Our hope took on flesh. Our hope has been born. Thousands of years of waiting, generations have come and gone, and here, to this young, ordinary couple, and Joseph and Mary, the Messiah comes. God in flesh. Right, this means that, that everything that he promised to do is on the cusp of happening. New creation, the end of the reign of sin, it's all happening. You know, one of the, one of the things that I love uh, to do but don't do much anymore is I love to travel. Uh, I know some people don't like it, but I love every part of it. I, I love the, the airports, I love the planes. I love the new places, the new cultures, the food, the drink, all of it. I, I love it all. Uh, there's nothing for me like preparing for a, a fun trip somewhere. 
especially if it's a trip that maybe it's like, hey, in five years, I want to go to Scotland. So I'm going to save up every month a little bit until I get to go on that trip. It's a dream vacation. The night before you leave, there's this buildup of anticipation. You can't sleep. You don't want to miss your plane. And then, you, then it's happening and you're going through the lines and you get on the plane, it takes off and you land and you unpack and you take a deep breath and you're there. It's an amazing moment. Um, this is like what's happening in this moment, except if you and your family have been waiting for thousands of years for it to happen, right? Imagine having like a trip you're trying to save up for that you can't go on, but you pass that money on to your family and they pass it on to their family and they pass it on to their family for thousands of years and finally, you have enough to go on that trip after 4,000 years of waiting. That's kind of like what this is, moment is like. It's wild. You had to think that there's some people like, I don't know if we're ever going to see this happening, but it has happened. And Jesus coming, he's there. The hope of the world, born, swaddled and nursing on his mother's breast. It is so wild, it almost un seems untrue that our hope has come. It's not just a future thing, but it's actually a now thing. It's a, it's a past thing even, because he has come. This has already happened. And in his coming and in his work and in his life on the cross and in his resurrection and in his ascension, ascension he's ushering in a new creation. Right? He has crushed the head of the serpent, and now we who are united to him in faith are called new creations. You, too, you and I, too, have been born by the Holy Spirit, uh, he has birthed us again, uniting us to the second Adam, making us new creations. Jesus has come. His work is finished. This means your hope in Christ is not in vain. Your hope uh, moved from the unseen to the seen in Jesus. It isn't just wishful thinking, but it's the only thing that can hold the weight of your hope. But I think what makes this really hard to believe is the reality that it doesn't always feel and look like Jesus has come and accomplished all, our, all that he has promised to accomplish, does it? We still live in a world that's marred by sin and all its effects. We still attend funerals. We still grieve the loss of loved ones. We still fight with loved ones. We, we struggle with brains that don't work right. We struggle with daily sins that we can't seem to shake. It makes you wonder, have we really been delivered from sin? Has new creation really started coming into this world? Has God really come and dwelt among his, among his people? Most days it, it doesn't feel like it, does it? I think this is where seasons like Advent that we're in are helpful for us. Because Advent orients us to where we're at, we are at within this story. Because as Advent looks back to this moment in history when Jesus was born... It's also meant to give us confidence as it looks forward to our future hope when Jesus will come back to earth. Uh, theologians call this moment that we're in the, the now and not yet, right? That the, the kingdom have of God and, and new creation of salvation from sin is now. It's, it's real for you and I. You are made new by the spirit of God. You are saved from your sin. The, the coming of the kingdom of God has begun to come into the world now. And yet it's not yet fully here. Right? It's been inaugurated by Christ's coming. It's begun, and yet it's not been consummated. It hasn't been finished for us. In a way, we, you and I are in a betrothal moment while we're waiting for the consummation that comes with marriage, which is the great wedding feast, the supper of the Lamb that we long and we wait for. And although we live in this kind of not yet moment in history, our hope is made sure as we remember that he who came will one day come again. 
I think this gives us an audacity to hope. Even when we're surrounded by death, even when we struggle with, with sin and the reality of sin and relationships have soured, we can still hope because our hope gives us the audacity to look at all the darkness in this world and say, but Jesus has overcome it all. So what does this look like for us in our lives? Well, I, I think it, it actually ends up looking really ordinary for us. I don't know, do you remember what happened uh, to, the, to, the, to the shepherds after they had their magical moment? They see an, an angel and they meet Jesus. It's this powerful moment in their lives. Do, do you remember what that happens to them after that? They, it says they go back to the fields. <laughs> they go back to their, to their work. They go back to the, to the work that they had bef- before. I think uh, uh, this is what hope does. It sends us back into our lives, but it's transformed people. As new creation people, I mean, this is true for us. As, as new creation people, we're sent back into this world that's still enslaved by darkness to be beacons of light, to share the hope that we have in Christ. And it's our hope in Jesus that compels you to come week in and week out to worship, to confess our sins, knowing that God forgives and places us into this new community that we call the church. I think it's, it's our hope and a new creation that, that, that compels us to have children, I have lots of conversations with, with people uh, when they'll tell me that they don't want to have children because they don't want to bring them into this world. It's because they have no hope. But for us to have hope, we bear children. We bring them into this world. We raise them in the church. We train them up that they would, too, would go out and build beautiful things and spread the, the good news of the, the kingdom of God. And it's this hope that actually leads us to want to plant more churches, to start more schools, because as we pray every week for heaven to come to earth, we're actually called into the work of Adam to to cultivate heaven on earth. And if everything is just going to burn in the end, then all of our building is actually in vain. But if the Lord builds the house, our labor is eternal. And in the arrival of Christ, your and I hope is, is actually seen. And we find our work is not in vain, although we likely won't won't see the finished, consummated work in our own lives on this earth. It's, it's a surety of hope in that, in that future day that will happen that leads us to build and live and raise our children here and now, right? To raise our, our children so they raise their children for another 4,000 years if necessary and that, that they too would, would grab hold of the hope and our hope would not die from generation to generation, but actually it would grow and it would expand and heaven would come more onto earth uh, as, as it is in heaven even more as generation and generation come and go. Because Jesus has come into this world, you and I can have the audacity to hope. May we be a people who grow in our hope of the gospel. May we be a people that learn to, to, to hope daily and may our, may our hope spread like wildfire in, in a world in desperate need of the hope of the gospel of Jesus. Pray with me. Holy Father, we give you thanks for the encouragement that comes from your word. That you are not a, a fiction of our imaginations, but you are real. More real than the pews that we're sitting on and the building that we're sitting in. You are real. I pray that you would stir the imagination of our hearts as we consider the coming of Christ long ago, as we long for that day when you will come again and Make all things new. Lord, haste that day. 
And as we wait, may we wait in hope, walking and working for your kingdom. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.